Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I'm coming in hot. Been coming in hot a lot lately. Doing the show these days is easy. They write themselves. Like I said, Kitty, show prep has become more like an editing process, right? It's It's a target-rich environment. you got to sift through the different things you want to cover. That's why I actually sit there sometimes. I'm like, you know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't – I don't think I could do this five days a week for two hours and have it still be useful. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure there's more – there's junkies that would listen to something like that every single day. But, man, you know, I could easily do it for two to three hours a week. That's for sure especially during times like these. There are times where it gets a little tough. Like, was it the summer of 2019? Yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, that that was painfully boring. Um, But boy, it sure isn't now. So we got a lot to cover in the market update. Obviously, a lot going down this week. Kind of a tale of two cities as far as markets are concerned. Like I was telling the folks in the three-minute warm-up, um, we, I'm, I'm recording right now, midday Friday, so I don't know how it ends. Right now, NASDAQ, when I started recording on the show, was down about 3.8%, pressing uh, the lows that it made last Friday. Now, I think the reason that is significant is for a couple reasons. Um, a, you bounced, you, you bounced off that level now twice, but you've made new lows on the S&P 500 at that at the same time right so what you want to see at a market bottom typically unless it's on a policy change right so usually markets will always retest bottoms okay but if you have a scenario where you announce like a massive stimulus or there's a policy change a drastic interest rate right something something where you get a V-shaped reversal in policy you know, then at times like that, we've seen V-shaped market recoveries. But typically speaking, you know, think of dropping a ball from a really high place. You know, it hits and then it bounces pretty high and then it bounces a little less high, right? That's kind of how bear markets work, right? You kind of take the plunge and then you roll over again and then the bounce backs get less and less and less and pretty soon it flattens out and then you start a recovery. You know, that's that's usually the way those things work. How many times it bounces, who knows? Anyway, my point is, is that when you see a bottom, one of the ways you know is because you quit making new bottoms to the bottom, right? And we haven't seen this market do that yet. Uh, Another reason why I think it would make sense for the market to plumb deeper lows here um, is because of the unemployment report we got out today. So this might sound a little counterintuitive, but the unemployment rate edged back. Now, I don't think that that's nearly as bullish as the Fed does. Because there's so many different things that can really, you know, mess with the unemployment rate. The other thing is, is you got to remember, businesses do not slow down in the anticipate or excuse me, businesses do not cut headcounts in the anticipation of business slowdowns. Take it from a business owner. Okay, now there may be a few professions here or there where you see like telltale signs and you're like, look, every time you see this happen and then the new guy's like, well, hold on, boss. I heard in finance class, you're like, no, 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 listen, <laughs> right? Whenever this happens, we need to pull back. Okay, there, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, businesses do not pull back on headcounts or costs significantly until they actually see the slowdown because there are always threats to a slowdown. Right. It's one of the reasons in the market we talk about markets climbing a wall of worry. That's just always been the way. Right. There's always some potential threat out there. But so you can't just be doing that constantly. The other reason is that, you know, the reason you're going to pull back on costs going into a slowdown is revenues are going to slow down. Right. And you got to do what's positive for the business. You got to do what makes the business healthy. Okay. Well, scaling back your headcount prior to a slowdown. 
compromises client service, right? Following through on contracts and, you know, all the things that you've committed to as a business. So that can damage your business as well. But anyway, my, my whole point is that jobs are the ultimate lagging indicator. I'm a little surprised you haven't seen softening yet. But really, you know, again, we thought the summer was going to be rip-roaring, right? You're only, what, three and a half weeks clear of Labor Day, right? At this point, three and a half, four, almost four weeks now, clear of Labor Day. So this is where you'd start to see unwinding, and, and you're seeing that in a lot of, well, there's a lot of places that just hit a bloody brick wall, right? But I think one of the things, if you look at GDP estimates right now, I think they're a little too rosy. You know, I think the one came out the other day at 2.7. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, but the one thing holding those up is increased manufacturing paces in certain areas like automobiles to fill in short gaps because supply was so tight. But the the kicker is, is that manufacturing is not bullish GDP, right? The, the act of them purchasing goods and building things and using electricity to do it, natural gas and, uh, you know, paying salaries, right? That stuff is showing up in GDP, but that GDP boost is not reflective of consumer demand, right? So by very definition, it's transitory. Uh, in that situation is that that exists in a lot of other places as well. So anyway, as it relates to the market, that unemployment rate though, is low enough to where it's not giving the fed a pause or stop signal. Right. And I think of what you saw earlier this week, and I'm not really sure what STEM did. It was probably, it was the bank of England announcement last week, I think is what did it. Uh, but you had some enthusiasm that the Fed was going to reverse course. Okay, when you see an unemployment rate like that, I just don't think they can. So it would make sense to me if the market did plumb some new lows here because now you're factoring one, if not two, if not more interest rate hikes. Right? Just think of it this way. Every time you continue to see inflation above 6% and the unemployment rate not nudging higher, Right. Every time we see a report that comes out like that at this point in the game, I think the way you got to look at that is that that is going to precipitate an additional hike. Now, maybe it's not going to be 100 basis points or 75 basis points. But, you know, I think some of that optimism you saw earlier in the week, again, was based on the idea that the Fed was going to at least stop hiking. So, you know, that that at this point, that optimism has unwound. Now, look, I'm not saying this is the there's never one reason why markets go up or down. Right, guys, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you look at this in the narrative, if you look at market movements this year based on Fed hike announcements, the first day or two may not make a lot of sense. But in general, it makes sense. The higher interest rates go, the more you slow the economy. It's like a wet blanket. Right. And the higher rates go, the heavier and heavier that wet blanket. It's more soaked. It is right. So, I mean, it, it just makes sense. And that's why it compresses stock multiples. That all makes sense. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is there were some people that were really reading in. So let's jump to the OPEC cuts, right? I, You know, I'm not sure. I think me and Chase talked about this directly, but this is one of the many reasons, guys. What is I mean, look at since OPEC announced the cuts, Biden answered now with an additional 10 million barrel release from the SPR slated for November, I believe. Okay, and that was supposed to be close to being done. Okay, and despite him doing that, you're still seeing oil rally, what, we're two weeks ago, we were at 78, today you're at 92, 93, with the economy dramatically slowing. And the dollar ripping higher, DXYs back to, you know, took a little bit of a cool off. I think it got out a little ahead of, ahead of itself, the dollar index. Did a little cool off period, but it, it looks, at least for now, that you bottomed right around 110. Now, the interesting thing about that is that kind of fits the pattern of the DXY recently. If you pull up a chart, you'll see it kind of has this habit of, of going up, breaking out, and going to a new, you know, when is it 100, going up to almost touching 105, pulling back down, retesting that 100 level, and then going back up, testing 105 again, and then breaking through it, running kind of almost straight to 110, backing off 110, getting down close to 105. You can see this process. 
Um, now, this could be a topping press process on the dollar index. I just thought it was interesting that that cool off in the dollar index stopped short of 110. And at least at this moment, seems like it's heading back up. But anyway, getting to my point about, you know, the Fed rate hike and what's going on in the economy and all that kind of stuff. Right. Which is why I think the 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 dollar index surge today is 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 acting as though it's got legs. Right. It's it's certainly not cooling off and been looking bearish like it was earlier in the week. But I think that's all built around the OPEC situation as well. Right. Why? Again, I was saying earlier, a bunch of people, in my opinion, misinterpreted the OPEC news. The cuts is saying, oh, man, that's going to make price. You know, that's that's going to put another constraint on the economy. No, that's going to quicken the Fed's cuts or that's going to quicken a Fed pivot. And I I could not disagree with that more. If anything, I think OPEC cutting supply um, probably. At least in the interim, I would think it actually increases the chances of a Fed cut or a Fed hike. Why? Because the OPEC cut's going to push oil higher and inflation is one of the biggest issues, right? One of the biggest inputs when they're looking at this. Now, it doesn't show up in the CPI data like anywhere close to what it should. If it, I mean, there's there's a couple different metrics to do. There's some that don't. But anyway, um, if if... If the price of oil is going up, right, that is inflationary. And I think the Fed, right, they got to counteract those inflationary pressures, and I think they're more likely to cut. Now, we'll see. And it'll be really interesting. This is why I've said I think it's kind of fascinating with oil right now is you look at the setup of the oil market, and it's not it, – you could see a scenario where you go through a recession. It'd be the last one in memory. If you hear that behind me, this is not an episode of Cops. Just unfortunately, when you're in T-Town, Tacoma, you hear some you hear some creative things every once in a while. But um, no, the, 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 this is not uh, – I do not think that, that what we've seen there from OPEC increases the likelihoods at all um, of a Fed pivot or a Fed cut at this point. I really didn't understand that narrative. Um, I don't think it's a lock for higher rates, but if anything, I think at this point, the media the, – the needle is tipped that way. Um and so all that being said, guys, my whole point was if you do hit new lows here, it sort of makes sense. You're going to see those unemployment rates. And, and you know, um, as long as you're seeing that picture tighten, you know, and not soften. Right. And, and, and really not even, st- you know, not even balancing out really at this point. I just think you're putting another bullet in the in the Fed's gun, for lack of a better term. Um, so I don't really see, I, I disagree with people that think there's help on the way and the fed's going to pivot. I don't really think they can at this point. Uh, the interesting setup, I think now, if you didn't notice, and we're going to do a little bit, uh, uh, in the next segment, I'm going to talk a little more extensively about energy stocks and why I think that energy stocks really are a phenomenal part of risk management or, or should be a, a, a significant part of risk management in your portfolio right now. Uh, and I think that this week is a perfect illustration. And um, when you hear me say that, I don't mean that I think energy stocks are guaranteed to not lose you money in this environment. I think anything can. But remember, risk management isn't just managing the risk of loss. It's also rate managing inflation, Right. So anyway, we'll hit on that uh, a little bit later. But the the picture you get with oil is increasingly interesting. It's amazing how quick the market responded. It hasn't been huge, but that pullback in the price of oil has already seen rig counts decrease. Okay, which means there's less drilling going on already. That's how that's how quick the market is to respond to lower prices. What you're not seeing is them is respond to the price spikes. So real no no real change on that front. But but what is interesting are the OPEC cuts in concert with the reopening of China, which is again it's not there yet, but it's putting another feather in the cap of the old idea that this could be the first recessionary environment we've seen where you've got steadily rising commodity prices. And guys, I'm not making a call for this. Honestly, I think that if, if anybody that's making a clear, concise call is doing it in hopes they're right, that they can tell people they called it right. I, I think that there are so many different potential outcomes on the table. I think the best case outcomes are not that great. I think the worst case outcomes are abysmal. I think that we should be 
leaning solidly in the defensive assets camp at this point. But it's also not the definitive run to the hills. The thing that troubles you about this environment is I think this week you kind of pulled back. The, if you're looking at it, and again, this is my view, but if you're paying attention, I think this week is kind of a good illustration of what kind of pickle central banks are in. Right. You've got these markets horribly out of whack. And yet these markets that are out of whack, i.e. energy markets, have massive impacts on inflation. Right. And the costs that can deeply damage economies. And if you want to know why inflation or, or the or and great, the energy shortage is not just an inflation story, there's more to it. But that's what always happens. Right. I think an inflationary environment kind of like soaks everything in gasoline and eventually needs a spark. And you've heard me talk about that on the show before. I just think COVID and the stimulus was the spark after 15 years of getting soaked in gas. And again, there's other things to, that are in play in that, right? The deglobalization of the economy. I get all that. And like I've said before, it's never one thing. But again, sitting back and just looking at the narrative of this market you know, they're, they're in a tough spot, right? You can't get real loose on monetary policy because inflation will rip because you still have not done anything to address these imbalanced markets. Yet at the same time, I you've got the dollar ripping up, which is deeply damaging, right? This is the thing. And at some point, and I'm not the first person to say this, but at some point, the Fed's got to pick. Right. What do we want? Higher than normal rates of inflation that we don't think are that good for the economy or the alternative. And I think the alternative is clear. I mean, if you want to get a preview now, not everything will be hit this bad. But if you want to get a preview of what maintaining and God forbid, even pushing higher rates at this point will do, just go look at the real estate market. There you go. Look at what's beginning to happen in the automobiles market. There you go. It's just going to bring everything to a standstill, which is going to be brutal for the economy. Now, what do I think the Fed's going to do? I think they're going to do what every central bank has ever done in history. I think they're going to eventually realize that they are stuck and they will decide to live and learn and probably rejigger CPI 18 different more ways to not make the, the inflation rate look as nearly deleterious as it is. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, they're going to pick inflation. Look, it's e if people's 401ks are going up and the value of their house is going up, it's easier for them to say, well, inflation's a little higher. It's easier to stomach higher. You know what you can't have? You can't have 12% unemployment and $5 gasoline. Right? And... I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, guys, but the stagflation is is seen as the worst of all economic outcomes. As a matter of fact, you know, if, if you got stag hyperinflation in places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, and again, I am not saying we're headed there because we're not, 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 not in the current setup of the world. Eventually, all fiat currencies go that way, but but this is why. This is so such a such a risky time. You know, again, I'm not telling you stagflation is certainly going to happen when I'm sitting out there looking at it. And then when I'm reading the data that came out today. You know, by by certain economic anomalies, you've got positive GDP readings, but any of us that are out here right now, does this feel like a growing economy? And yet, look at look at the run oil's just gone on in the last two weeks. I mean, and 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 again, I'm not going to tell you I know how this plays out. And anybody that does, run the other way because they don't know what they're talking about. But but what you see, what you see is the potential for these really really negative outcomes. And that's one of the things that we've been trying to tell people is, guys, the market where it's trading, yeah, it's not nearly as expensive as it was 14 months ago. But all, in my opinion, the only thing this market has done is priced in some semblance of reality in higher interest rates. If you look at it now today, I don't think it is. Now, you're start, well, the funny thing is you're starting to see articles come out saying that these positive earnings estimates on, on Wall Street next year are complete nonsense. Why does it take it so long to turn? Look, I'm not going to call people crooks and liars. I, I don't know. 
I think it's really hard for people to adjust their minds to changing environments um, for whatever reason. You know, and truth be told, it's probably a little too, I tend to be a little too limber that way, meaning um, I don't think I've ever been late to a bear market. I've only really navigated two, uh, this one in the financial crisis, but um, I'm almost always early to value stuff. So anyway, I tend to be a little more limber in terms of accepting changing cycles and changing patterns than most. Um, but, but that comes with, with its cost too, right? I've told you guys before, I'm not perfect. I, I was up 10% in 2013 when the market was up 31. How's that for a sales pitch? <laughs> no, and it just gets to my point, guys. If, if you're looking for the guru that's got an answer in every market, uh, I just prepare to be disappointed, right? There is no magic sauce out there. Nobody's got a secret bullet. And, and, and this is why we do what we do. This is why we manage risk, Right. Because you don't know. And, and you know, I think if you're a decently, somewhat normally intelligent person and you do this job with the best of intentions and eyes wide open, I don't think you need to do it very long to figure that out. Right. Where you see behind the curtain, you're like, look, nobody really knows. There is no guru out there that knows Warren Buffett's wrong. Thirty five percent of the time. Right. Uh, and once you learn that, then I think risk management becomes the thing that you realize that it's really the only thing that you have control over. And, you know, then you get further and further into what risk management's all about. You know, I think a big part of risk management is fundamental analysis, knowing things that you're buying. No, knowing when the price of a stock is at least in the neighborhood of literally too cheap. Because it's it's so non-reflective of the financial health or 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 vibrance of a company, you know that you maybe maybe you can't determine that it's that it's absolutely bottom there. But my whole point being is that risk management has different many different ways and different forms to look at. But these environments, to me, are exactly why we do what we do, right? Because if we can just sit there, and we've had a pretty nice little week, actually. Wasn't that hot on Monday and Tuesday, but, but we were still green. I think we were up like, you know, 0.7, market was up like six, but look, we're in the week. We're ending the week on a nice little week. It's positive market is going to end the week negative. If you close right here. So, and I just think it's another illustration. We're going to get into that next in the next segment. And why look it's, it's risk management done when done correctly means more returns, not less. It just means you're not going to get wiped out when stuff like this happens, right? You should be like our clients that overall portfolios are down somewhere between two to 4% on the year. No big deal. We've actually had a couple nice weeks in a row here, moving the other direction while the market makes new lows. Am I promising we'll ever do that? No. But what I'm saying is, is when you adhere to a process in a portfolio like ours, you're also not going to be staring at 40% losses, Right, because you got risk limits, you got things in there that can't go down. You've got true diversification. You got lower fees. You got more upside. So when the market finally turns around, you're making more. If that doesn't interest you, it should. Give us a call eight six six seven seven nine risk again eight six six seven seven nine risk. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about risk management and why we believe energy stocks are still a part of it. So stick with us. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book 
booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right. So I was teasing why. And look, this is not a recommendation for you to go out and buy wholesale energy stocks. Okay. But I'm using this example. Now, before I tell you this example, I think it's more, I I think we need to start here. Okay. There is no perfect way to invest. And, And let me give you an analogy of what I'm talking about. I was walking through performance with a client of mine. And I think he listens on a regular basis. But if he doesn't, it was just the other day, so he's going to know who he is. Last year, we the, the fund that I had, we had a pretty good year overall. Uh, we were up about 20% net of fees. Market was up 26 uh, On the stock side, our bond replacement had a beautiful year. Jeez, uh, I think it was up like 13 14% last year. So we actually posted a really nice year especially compared to stocks and bonds, right? Remember, we always got to, it's not just the stocks, right? If you got 30 to 40% of your money in bonds, you got We got to look at that too, right? Um, you know, and then that same portfolio, right? So we, so we did not beat the market last year. Now that same portfolio today is down two to four. It's really right around 3%, but I just want to be careful to pull it all in. Our average fully allocated portfolio. So there are some people doing better than that based on how their portfolio is built. There are some people doing a little worse than that, but everybody's right around that range. Okay. To be fair, it's, I get calls from both sides of it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, my point in, in all of this it, is that risk management when done correctly should make you more money over time because avoiding the losses, especially the big losses, right? I'm not talking eight to 12% dips. That's just part of being in a market, even a 15%. It's not a life altering, right? But having, having, especially once you're retired, having those breaks in there, especially after the run we've been on for 15 years for crying out loud, right? But knowing when to ring the register and go, okay, we look, we're willing to give up a little upside here because we know if we miss this cavernous downside, overall, those percentages work out really nicely, Right? Avoid the losses. What does Warren Buffett say? Three number number three rules to managing other people's money. Number one, don't lose money. Number rules number two and three, see rule number one, right? So going back to the story, and I just want to be fair to say this. Uh, in October of last year, the value fund that I was running was up 40% on the year. At that point, I think the S&P was up about 18. So we were crushing it. Uh, then what, what was it that kicked it off? I'm trying to remember what kicked it off. Was it the Russia-Ukraine thing? Now I'm, I'm spacing out. But there was this thing that came out. What was it? Ah, Anyway, there was some type of news. Maybe it had to do with Russia-Ukraine. Maybe it didn't. No, because Russia-Ukraine is what knocked everybody out of that and made oil rally back. But I'm trying to remember what reason there was why oil got hit. Anyway, <clears throat> there, there, oil was flying high, doing really well toward that. And that was a big reason why we were up. And right in the last month and a half of the year, there was some type of news that came out. And I'm forget- again, I'm forgetting what it was. Anyway, everybody, in our opinion, interpreted it completely wrong. Price of oil got smacked back down to like 65, if I remember correctly. XOP got down to like 90. I think maybe even like 88. XOP is the energy ETF that we track. It's kind of a proxy of the energy markets. And so that client joined us right in October. Okay, so... The value portfolio dipped as low as like we gave up like 13 because I wasn't going to hedge it. I knew the news was dumb and my and and I knew it would. Well, I shouldn't say no. We were still going to adhere to our risk levels. But a we were up so much on the S&P at that point. And B, I I firmly believe the story was complete nonsense and would have zero impact on oil. Okay. Um. And so we hedged it a little bit, not as much as we should have in retrospect. But point is, is that smacked our value portfolio. And by Christmas, we were only up about 26, 27 percent on the year. Ended up, I think, up 28 on the 27 and a half, 28 on the year. 
Um, so still outperformed the S&P, but it was really a kick in the face because the only reason we lost altitude to the S&P during that period of time was just a nonsensical story about oil that ended up being completely wrong. We were right. Those, those, uh, those stocks have since bounced back, and they're a big reason why the value portfolio that I run is right around even on the year so far. Maybe we're down one. Um, <clears throat> and, and so they, they serve their purpose, right? But And my value fund, we still, by God's good grace, outperformed the S&P last year. But he joined us right at the top. And so now he, he wasn't unrealistic about this. He was actually a really smart guy that got that and wasn't complaining at all. But when he joined us, he took a 10% header right out of the gate on his stock portfolio. And then that same stock part portfolio for him is like down six this year, right? A couple of my clients that were with me all of last year even showed me that chart. And I go, guys, hold on a second. <laughs> that point you're pointing to there is when I was up 40 on the year. We were outperforming the S&P at that point by more than 20. Okay. We gave back some of our outperformance, but you can't look at that as a loss, right? So we've got to put losses in context, but I tell that story because I want you guys to know that I'm not perfect. I'm not the guy that's sitting there going, well, I'm the smart guy all the time. If I was that smart and I knew what, you know, if I could see in the dark and see around corners, I would have hedged 100% of that oil through the end of the year and taken profits from the hedges and bought the oil stocks back even lower, right? Um, now, I did that with a little bit of it. I, we hedged out some of it because we adhered to our risk management process, but you just can't aggressively, you know, I just, I'm not going to aggressively hedge when the things that gave us the outperformance are getting beat up by some kind of nonsensical story. You know, sometimes you just got to take your licks. But the reason I tell that story to set up this year, to put it in context, I don't want to make myself look unrealistically good. Okay, but what do I mean when I say that I do believe, at least for our clients, and I'm not recommending you go out and buy it, but why do I believe that energy uh, uh, investments are an important part of the portfolio, especially in these times? One of the things that I've noticed with my clients and really the vast majority of retail investors together is when we talk about risk, risk is synonymous with loss. Right. So risk is all about, can this lose money? Okay. I've been saying this for years, but now you've got a certain example right in front of you. That's, that's on everybody's tongue. And yet nobody's really thinking about it. Still another risk that we have to consider when building portfolios for the long run and building portfolios to endure. Remember where I talk about all the time, your portfolio has to work regardless of what happens, Right. Well, if we build a portfolio that works regardless of what happens, that also means that that portfolio is probably not going to be optimal in any of the outcomes, right? It's probably never going to be the best solution, right? But here's the key. It's also never going to be the wrong one, right? So is a threat to your retirement making 20% in your stock account last year as opposed to 26 no, if you're retired and you're making 20% a year, that's good. I don't even care how you did it. It's a wonderful year. Okay, now, it, it becomes even more obvious if you look at it in the context of today because you've given all of that 26% back plus about another three or four if you've just been in the stock market. Meanwhile, if you've got a risk-managed portfolio like with us, you were up 20 last year, but you've only given back about 5 to 6% of it. So you're still sitting on really nice double-digit gains from the beginning of, year to last, beginning of last year to this year. Right? And why are energy stocks a part of that? Can they go down? Yes. That's why I just told you the story of what happened at the end of last year. But what is one of the major threats we face right now? Inflation. What's another one that we were just talking about? Stagflation. Are, are those environments good typically for commodity costs and energy? Yes. Right? Now, is it possible that I'm wrong and that oil could dip as low as 65 or even lower? Shoot, it can do whatever it wants. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. But we have things in the portfolio that will do really well in the event that that happens too. Right? So in a week like this week, it was fantastic. Because the energy side, right, the inflationary side did really well. The other stuff ended up getting its tail kicked here the last couple of days of the, you know, the last half of this week. 
So the defense we had against those things did really well, right? We ended up having a really nice week. What do we do on bad weeks, right? When it's bad for the oil stocks and the, and the inflationary stuff and everything else, those weeks we've hung in there basically even down a little, right? But the point is, is that now here's the other thing. If things are better than I think economically, right? And the Fed can ease off rates a little bit and the economy can still stay strong and, and all the problems we see just kind of vanish. I think those portfolios are still going to do really well. Why? Because if that happens, you're going to see oil and commodities and energy prices go back up even higher. Right? Because you haven't fixed anything on the supply side of this equation yet. Right? You're just going to be turning demand back on. So that's why when we talk about risk management, it's not just all about losses. And sometimes, like for that client that joined us in October, truly getting into a diversified and risk managed portfolio cost him more than had he just stayed in the regular stock market for that three month period of time. Now we go toward, toward today, and he is significantly better off because he made that switch, even considering the unfortunate timing he had of making that switch to us, right? And this is, this is, not only is this important thinking and important parts of building portfolios that everybody in this industry should understand, but it's also a really important psychological point that we as investors need to get our heads around, right? The, having some not losing it all should not be the goal, right? Being able to maintain your lifestyle is the goal. If, if real estate prices drop 30%, stock market drops 50%, interest rates go back down to 1.5% and you're in a portfolio that loses 10%. Have you lost well, technically speaking, on a nominal basis, your money has gone down by 10%. But meanwhile, the cost of commodities, fuel prices, stocks, real estate, everything that you need to purchase with your money has gotten much cheaper and has dropped by a much larger percentage than your cash pile. Therefore, again, have you lost? Yes, Again, the nominal value has gone down, but your purchasing power has actually gone up. And I think that that's something that we need to institute into retirement thinking and planning. What are we really trying to do? We're trying to finance our lifestyle. So should we have a port of part, port of that part of that portfolio? Should we have a part of that portfolio invested in a more risky manner? Sure. Right? Because if, if, if some home runs occur... Right. More money's never blown up a retirement portfolio. We want to keep that home run capability there. But is that what the portfolio is going to be geared toward? No, it should be geared toward not the S&P 500, not bond rates, not real estate. It should be geared toward preserving and increasing your purchasing power over time. Right. And a big component to that is eliminating loss. And that is what you're supposed to have if you're currently sitting in a stock and bond portfolio. When they pitched you that portfolio, they said, look, this portfolio averages five to, you know, eight to nine percent a year. And on average, it doesn't drop more than 15 to 17 percent in down market. OK, well, you've seen that portfolio lose substantially more than that twice in the last two and a half years, not to mention the fact it did it in 0809. You have an umbrella with holes in it, and you're already soaking wet. Right? You're already sitting there suffering the slings and arrows of this thing. Why? And if you're going to do it, like I've told you guys before, you can go get the same thing at Vanguard for free. Well, yeah, but they're not going to make me one of those cool financial plans. Go look at that financial plan today and tell me if it's holding up. Go factor in what 6% inflation does to that financial plan. Go factor in what zero net return on stocks over the next decade does to that financial plan. Am I saying those things are guaranteed to take place? No. But sitting here today, can you take them off the table? No. And if they're a potential outcome and that outcome ruins your portfolio, 
What are you doing in that portfolio? Your portfolio needs to be able to stand up to nuclear war. Does it mean it's not going to lose a nuclear war? No, but it needs to preserve your purchasing power as best it can. People are like, well, I only need gold and guns. Okay, I've been hearing people say that since 75. Does it mean you're wrong? Nope, doesn't. Is that possible? Sure. Like I've said, one of the crazy... Now, guys, I'm not sitting there saying I think it's going to be about guns and gold here in the next 10 years. What I'm saying is that when you look at the economic landscape today, I think there are no outcomes off the table. And I don't think anything's certain, including a miraculous economic rebound. I mean, I don't see... I don't see the seeds or the green shoots of that by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, it doesn't mean it can't happen. My whole point is saying, why have a port? What you're what you're doing in a stock bond portfolio right now is you're sitting there with your fingers crossed going, boy, I hope this goes well. If you're in a truly risk managed portfolio, you're sitting there going, man, I hope this goes well for the world's sake. But it sure does feel nice to know I'm good financially either way. I, I mean, that's that's the name of the game. Right? Does that mean we're going to beat the market every year? I just literally sat here and gave you two examples of us not doing it. Right? This is why I'm not sitting there trying to pitch people. Right? I'm not trying to tell you we're the only ones that don't make a mistake. We beat the market every year. I mean, I mean, I wish that were true. The difference with us, our mistakes don't change your retirement. Right? Our mistakes means we trim off some gains at the end of last year. And still end up outperforming the market in one of the stock portfolios. The other one didn't. But I'm just saying, we're looking at risk the wrong way. Okay, it's it's smashing all around you and you're still sitting in the same old thing. You're still holding the umbrella with holes in it. For God's sakes, go spend the 20 bucks and get a new umbrella. Or you could just give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boarcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We're going to be back for a quick segment, tie things up, and then get a few minutes of our interview this weekend. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right, quick segment. And this is something you guys can do on your own. All right? So if I hear one more person say, your show's all about marketing. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. (laughs) Got to pay the bills, man. Uh, But the other thing, too, is is we've always said we want to arm you with with, uh, information uh, and things that I think that, that can help you, even if you're not using us or anybody else. Um, a lot of clients, especially new clients have dealt with a lot of clients that have substantial amounts of cash, right? And the re- and I think it's, I think it's a smart thing, especially if you're very close to retirement, especially considering the environment. Um, and they're, the reasons they're sitting in cash, most of the ones that I've spoken to new clients that are coming on board and existing clients, well, our existing clients can't because we've incorporated, they are, they're not because we've incorporated that built into their portfolio, but we've even had additional clients moving more cash to us recently. 
and the reason they have, and this is going to sound funny coming from me, is that I think that there are some phenomenal deals out there in bonds. <laughs> right? The guy that spent the last seven years on the radio crucifying bonds. Let me explain what I mean. Obviously, we know the rate increases have gone up. Okay. And again, we tend to have a lot of higher net worth clients and a lot of them tend to have a lot of cash. And they're going, Zach, what do I do with all this cash? I'm afraid of the market. I mean, and I'm looking at it going, okay, guys, right now you can get a six month U.S. Treasury, which means if you invest it for the next six months, you're going to make an annual average rate of right around 4.1, 4.2%. Okay. So that means over the course of six months, six months, you're making 2.1, right? And then you reinvest it in the next six months. The two year treasury, I think is paying right around four. Uh, the 10 year treasury is paying right around three, nine, three, nine, five, somewhere in there. So here's one of the things we're doing. Let's say a client's got $600,000 and he's got it sitting in cash. Okay, and the reason he has it in cash is because he wants to be safe with it because that cash is FDIC insured. Well, guess what? U.S. government treasuries are as well. Only difference is money account, money market accounts aren't paying for. Okay, They also can't make you money if the market goes really nasty further down. Let me explain what I'm saying. So let's take of that $600,000, let us take $200,000, put it in six-month treasuries paying right now around 4.1, 4.2. Let's take the other $200,000. And put it in two-year treasuries that's paying right around 4 4.1. And let's take the other 200000 and put it in 10-year treasuries. Hold on, Zach. 10-year treasuries. What if interest rates go higher? Won't they lose money? Yes, they will lose some. Okay? But remember, the six-month treasuries come due in six months. You can take that 200000 and roll it into higher-paying treasuries at that point. Right? Basically nullifying any losses you take on the 200000 over there. And then two years later, we've got the two-year treasuries coming due. And remember, the six-month, 200000 it's coming due every six months, right? Meanwhile, if the market really tanks, those 10-year treasuries will actually make a lot of dough because at some point, the Fed will have to cut rates, right? Rates on the 10-year fall back. You could sit there collecting 4%, and in the space of this is what happened to us during the COVID crisis. It's one of the reasons we didn't lose very much money in our accounts. We were 25% long treasuries, and I think we made like 28 to 30% on them in the five weeks of the COVID drop, just due to the rates falling. The bonds went up in value like a stock. Okay, so if you're sitting on a pile of cash out there, you can call us to do this, and I'll, you know, we will happy to, to incorporate it into your account, or, or maybe just that's what you want done. We can t- discuss that with you, but this is also something you can do on your own. And um, I think it is highly likely that rates turn sharply lower over the next 12 months. Um, And so I actually think it's a great time. And like I said, if we're wrong, right, 200,000 of that 600,000 is coming due every six months. We can continue to move it up at higher rates, right? The other 200,000 comes due in two years. So just sit there, make our 4% for a couple of years and then flip it at a higher rate or put it in stocks at that point, or whatever the case may be. So really only the 200000 in the 10 years exposed to much higher rates. But like I said, I don't think rates can go a whole lot higher. And I think if they, whatever they go higher, they're just going to give back in the next 12 months because things are going to get dicey. So that's something you can do on your own or talk to us. But bottom line is, guys, you're, you have the same protection in these you do in a cash account at the bank. The only difference is now you can actually make somewhat of a decent return. And if the market crashes, you can actually make a nice little profit on the whole setup. You know, maybe if you get a significant market crash and the Fed ends up having to cut again, which we think they will, you know, that that portfolio you could do over the next year, make 4% in interest and 10% in capital gains, maybe even more. And meanwhile, having very little risk to the downside. That's another perfect example example of risk management. Are we taking more risk with our money than a savings account? Maybe a little because that principal value, but if you set it up that way, whatever's causing the 10 year to go down every six months, 200,000 is coming due. That's, that's, you know, that we can roll at higher rates, whether we put it in 10 years or, you know what I mean? We can adjust it. So you're not locked in. And then in two years, that other part rolls out and we can put that at higher rates too. So yet another example 
of risk management and action. And I know for a fact, these aren't the conversations you're having with the people managing your money, especially if you're sitting at Vanguard or a, you know, stock advisory account or nothing against Vanguard. Like you guys know my thoughts on that. If you're just going to sit in the typical 60, 40, that's the place to do it. Cause they don't charge you a fee. But anyway, if that type of thinking resonates with you, if you're sitting on a pile of cash, you don't know what, what, what to do with it. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. I went over my time. We don't have time to air any of the interview, but get it on the podcast. It'll be, it's up already. It'll be going to be up by Friday afternoon. You don't want to miss this. this my good friend, Dimitri Kafinis, that is a podcast host of Hidden Forces, one of the best podcasts out there. Highly recommend it. Download it. Just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You name it. I don't, maybe we're not on Spotify. I think we are. But just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. It pops right up. Anyway, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Got a great, another great interview lined up for next week. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book. Booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.